This show is part of the Darkmore Podcast Network. To join our community Discord or see more content from our members, visit darkmorepodcasts.com. My name is Zach, and I play Alaris Dream, a half-high-elf bladesinger wizard, scholar of the Weaver's Guild, and a keeper of reflection. My name is Yessi, and I play Grimton Steadyhand, a fighter, paladin of Bahamut, special legionnaire of the Pandominion, and revolutionary in the Red Capes. My name is Steven, and I play Urshan Bethethnosh, a red dragonborn cleric of the Twilight Domain, representative of the EWU, and a part of the Lace Battalion. My name is Sarah, and I play Agnar Elfbreaker, an orc barbarian and the first daughter of the late Jarl, Skold of Indelfilk, killed by the warlord Gleb Headtaker. And this is Advantage. Advantage. One, two, three, clap. clap. Let's see, we started this project in like May 2016 is when we nailed down the cast and decided, committed that we were gonna do it. And when we started character building, which means that it was January 2017, that we like actually published our first episode, right? Yeah, sure, tracks. That's true. That sounds correct. Wow. Which then makes this year... Seven? Seven? Seven. Right? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. We're about to go in 24. We're about to be in 24. We're about to go into year eight. Mm-hmm. Wow. As we have done traditionally in the past, we are celebrating it with a mailbag. Yay! Mail time! Here's the mail. It never fails. You'll open up your Google Docs. And then wag your tail. And in the same format as previous years, uh, we are going to go through these Google Docs and uh, one at a time ask questions to other players, naming the actual question and then who it's from. These questions were submitted on Discord by our community. Anybody else have anything to say before we get this thing going? Like, we're going to do wild tangents off of every topic, so okay. probably just, just <laughs> best to get into it. Oh, 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 oh. O'Reilly. O'Reilly. Auto parts. Ow! We need to do the what happened in this past year of D&D. Oh, Come advantage. Uh, All right. Girl. It's been like six months since we've actually recorded the show. It sure has. This is going to be like when we used to record it once every like three, three and months. And half months. <laughs> Did we start this year with arc three? Yes. Okay. So let's start that. Yeah, we're fine. So we start in a tavern. We did. We did. Yeah. That is true. It's the most like D&D ass beginning we've like ever had. With a meeting that Grimton and Alaris have decided to join uh, that is being led by... Agnar. And who else was in the meeting? I mean, we were all in the meeting. Well, yeah, but I was giving you a chance to like Urshan. Urshan What was this meeting for? Murder. Treason, actually. Assassination, yeah. Regicide. They were plotting against the Jarl, right? And yeah, Agnar's leading it. It's happening in a bar called the Drecky Drecka, uh, which is owned by Agnar's friend, Fishbelly. Oh, that's the name I was trying to remember. There's some other people there who you don't really know. Gin the Butcher. 
Hundred scars. <laughs> uh, hundred scars and stranga. Stranga. Which is orcish for uh, the verb to strangle. Didn't um, we murder one of them? You uh, murdered both, both of them. them. Yeah. Actually, okay. yeah. Allegedly. Uh, That's why I was saying, do yeah. we even need to remember their names? Because they're dead. I think they challenged Alaris to a fight. They ran away. And we chased them down so they wouldn't go talk to Iron Tusk. And we chased them down. But as we chased them down and, you know, murder them, uh, were witnessed by a group of fishermen. Did we murder and the fishermen? No. No. We did not murder the fishermen. We paid them off later on. We bribed them and threatened them, but we did not <laughs> murder them. Yes. And I think while we were there, uh, we almost got caught by the blind guy. Elder Svick. Oh, but we like hid, hid in, in a, a bubble. bubble. It was an issue and he had to take it up with the city council. Yes. <laughs> He's like, I don't remember this boulder being here. I need to go make it the Arl's problem. <laughs> he did do exactly that. And then shortly after that, we go into town for the first time. Uh, that's where we go and we meet Agnar's uh, allies that are in the town. Njal the Wooler and Ufild Seastrong. Um, and I think there's one other one. There's the one that works in the blacksmith. The okra. Uh, and we meet all them. We kind of inform them what's going on. Give them updates. Figure out what our plan is. Uh, our plan currently at that point is to find out when the next hunt is and uh, take Iron Tusk by surprise at the hunting lodge. We also hear about a shipment of coal that's coming. Oh yeah. See, this is the thing I remember. We took that detour. That is something that Okra is needing because the uh, Kooning head taker has asked for Okra to make a bunch of weapons. They're getting a shipment of coal uh, to make a bunch of weapons to send to the front lines of the uh, Great Scuffle. We also learn about, from Nial the Wooler, about a specific order that's being made for like a wedding or something that's happening up in the northern territories. Once we make the, sh the ship less conspicuous, then we head out to intercept the shipment of coal. We originally talk about ramming the ship and sinking it or doing something to sink the ship. Piracy. We don't do that. We don't sink the ship. Because we feel <laughs> bad. Well, we don't sink the ship because we get up close to it and we decide to negotiate with them. And by that point, we feel bad and we don't want to actually kill people. <laughs> so then we make a deal with them for them to basically deliver the coal because they don't care about what happens to the coal after it's delivered. They just care about getting their promissory note sign that says we have delivered this coal and once that happens they're fine with doing some underhanded shady stuff uh so we make a deal with them for them to burn the coal cause a warehouse fire we basically get back to town uh mess around town a little bit uh and then decide to start heading towards the hunter's lodge but as we're doing that we kind of realize that we've maybe don't want them to burn a bunch of coal and cause a big scene. But by the time we get back to town to try to stop them, it's already been done. Um, and the warehouse goes up in flames. And I believe that that is about as far as we've gotten published currently. Yep. 
More has happened, but that's all that's published. This, like, arc is the closest to murder hobos we've, like, ever been. <laughs> We're not there. Like, that particular little arc shows that we have a, a conscience, but this is the closest. I was gonna say, we haven't actually done it. We did start off the arc by murdering two people. Mm-hmm. The first thing we did was murder. <laughs> it wasn't murder. They were enemies. Mm-hmm. They were combatants. Yeah, that we met at the murder meeting. <laughs> to plan the murder. And our murders didn't sync up, so we had to murder them. We have we have killed more people in this <clears throat> first, like, chunk than we did in, like, most of the first arc. It was a while before we killed somebody in arc one. We fought monsters, but, like, killing a person? It took a while. I don't, I'm trying to remember if any Tempest Oath people attacked us on the road to They're not people. Right. <laughs> I remember running into like the Tempest Oath uh, like burial site. Yeah, but I don't remember if we actually fought any Tempest Oath people then or if we fought them later uh, when we were coming back down the river. I don't think we ran into them at all until the final battle. Oh, we definitely ran into like the the storm, uh, storm hawk fight. Wasn't there Tempest Oath people there, or was it War? Nope, War- they War- were Warforged. They were Warforged. Warforged happened afterwards. No, it was very much an unseen enemy arc. Oh yeah, I like so it was all one big fight. Yeah, because it was like storm hawk, and then immediately, and then we immediately got ambushed by the Warforged. They right. got ca- captured and taken back to the boat. Well, I guess there's a there's a trivia question for some dedicated listener. What was Advantage's first like person and kill? <laughs> <laughs> who did we who did we kill? I don't remember what all we did in our one. That was so many years ago. Dear God. But anyway, questions and things. It's a great segue. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and start us off with a question for everybody. This is a question from. Uh, John, who's the host of our uh, companion show Dragon Mind on the Darkmoor Podcast Network, uh, he wants to know what our favorite moment of Arc Three has been so far. I kind of like the well, it's not published yet. Never mind. <laughs> that was a very cool scene, though, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> it was such a cool scene. Wait, what's the last one published? Up in flames. Move the warehouse. Oh. Okay. I really like. Uh, town scenes. I liked going around town, meeting new people. Uh, we don't have a lot of urban stuff going on, do we? No. But I like, I always like that stuff. I think maybe Crosby don't do it a lot. Um, the three-player chess happened already. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We've, we've already had a three-way on recording. We've, we've established a three-way. Elder Svik in general, maybe. I really, really enjoyed Elder Svik. If I remember right, that was just based off a, like, I need to raise the stakes here, and, oh, look, there's somebody coming down the road. Who is this person? <laughs> Elders, Elders Fick is definitely definitely a good time. I honestly liked the whole boat excursion a lot, mm. and I'm relieved that we didn't just murder those people. <laughs> like, somebody else give us a question. Ooh. I'll throw a question at Yessi. As the player, uh, this this comes from our homie Daniel in Singapore. It's the coolest, coolest homie that has ever homied. Especially when he gets on to, like, hang out with us. Because it's like, he's like, what, 13, 15 hours? I don't remember. It's far. That man's in the future. And he'll, he'll be up at, like, weird hours just to hop on the call. Appreciate it. Anyway, as the player behind 
the canonically oldest PC. Do you ever think about how to channel that fact amongst the youngins of the group? Uh, or is there less of that due to dwarven aging and culture? I never do. And then I think something will happen or some someone will say something that reminds me that Grimton is old. <laughs> <laughs> then I start to lean into it sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. There, were, I don't remember exactly when in Arc 2 there was a lot of a, huh? And what? <laughs> and who are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's fun. Is, is that something that Grimton does? No, he has dementia. Okay, so that, <laughs> that is a thing. That's not just like Grimton playing into the bit a little bit. No, I like, to, has... I like to believe that Grimton's mind is slipping slowly. But... That's very funny. Because <laughs> he is old. I forgot exactly how old, but after we made characters, I was like, oh, I made him, like, old, old. Not just, like, old compared to non-dwarves, but old for a dwarf. That's fun. <laughs> yes, yeah, so shoot us a question. I'll shoot you a question. Um, this one's for uh, Sarah and Steven. Do you miss your old characters? That's from Yona. Yes and no. I love Ulrich. I think Ulrich still has, like, a story to tell. Just not, you know, here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's over in the Watched Forest. But I also feel like like Ulrich got their story. Had a good, full, for me, satisfying arc out of the first two arcs of the show. I'm not over here like, God, I wish I could be playing Ulrich right now. You know, it's not like that. There, There's more of a, you know, I'm resigned to the fact that, that Ulrich is, is put, put to rest uh and can can live out their life comfortably or whatever um but i do miss that character you know when you spend as long as we have with a character it's it's hard not to not to miss that a little bit my answer is also yes and no i did we did everything with morlinde that we needed to do like she was done and she felt done like i was just i was honestly tired of the combat i just like literally cannot it was too many steps, too many steps to play a druid in combat. I just cannot. All martial classes from Sarah from now on. <laughs> Although now I'm like really medicated for ADHD and have like started finishing books and things. So I'm wondering if like now I could do it. Now that I'm on it, I'm like, what? I can finish books. So yeah, I think for me, a lot of it, like I was really tired of how combat was going and like just trying to wrap my head around the things that I could and couldn't do. And I never really did. So I was excited to try something new with combat. I was try- excited to try a new character that had different, like, wants and, like, values. One thing I'm struggling with is making sure that the characters are distinct. What I'm excited to do, but it is also hard. So, like, yes, I miss Morlinde, uh, but I also really, really like Agnar, and I'm excited to keep developing where she's going. And I can ask the next question. Oh, I love this one. This one's also from Daniel. This is for Zach. As the person who's the most meta of the group, uh, how does it feel to be in a group where like meta is not the main goal? So do you purposely strive for meta or is that like a personality thing or something else entirely? So I'm assuming meta meaning like you're the one who who would like become a god (laughs) mechanically. Yeah, while well, I was interpreting the question as like meta, I, I guess like almost like meta gaming. Meta gaming, so, yeah. 
Um, like like party uh, balance leveling sure. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That part is more just how I play. I like to play like the mechanics and like like I've also DM'd for other people a little bit. It's hard to sometimes separate the knowledge that you've just gained from reading all the books. Yeah. From like what you're doing in the game, but I think that it plays well with Alaris as a character specifically because for the most part, it can kind of be like, Alaris was like at a college where he just studied this kind of stuff for like 30 years or whatever before the starting this adventure. So yeah, like a lot of that stuff, he just would randomly have knowledge of probably or approximate knowledge of a lot of that stuff. Um, so I think it works, but uh, it's hard to, sometimes separate and be like like for example that uh in arc two whenever we uh met the the dragons um you know sometimes it's hard to be like yeah i wonder who these old people are (laughs) um yeah because see like for me i was just like way over my head and didn't even know i was fully fully immersed and lost so i got it immediately yeah man that was a fun scene it was so fun <laughs> Joe. Yes. What's your favorite NPC? <laughs> and this is it's from 5K. I think my favorite NPC is James Pony Esquire. Nice. That's a pretty That's good NPC. James Pony Esquire is a lot of fun. Um I I I like the like calculating part of him, but also the like not necessarily professional lawyer part of him. <laughs> yeah. He's he's good at his job, but he's not good at his job. And I like the, um, as a story feature, not an actual addiction, I like the alcoholism on him. It's it's a good story thing. Like, Cl- clearly, as if we're alcoholics in, in real life, please seek help. <laughs> uh, there's There's got to be an AA branch around you. Um, but as a narrative function, I think that is very cool. Um, I think that it's, it's a good thing to play. Like, we, we had a moment where Auric and James Pony Esquire were together at uh, the party celebrating the success of Erica Tri getting out of jail. Oh, yeah. Pony leans over to Arik and says, like, Arik, I need help. Like, I, I it, it, and it allowed for that moment to happen. And so that's what I appreciate about, like, the alcoholism, that there was a, that there's something that he's fighting with. I, it really could be any problem, but for mm-hmm. Pony, it's alcoholism. Um, Here's a, before you read the next one, a follow-up from me. Do you think James Pony Esquire has thought about the party at all since their departure? Or is that just another gig? Well, man, what a question. Because I yeah. haven't thought about Jay Pony Esquire <laughs> at all since <laughs> that because he was just another gig. I feel like I feel like he's too busy. He's on to the next one. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that he's kind of got a, a um, Bill Clinton thing for faces. <laughs> Where like if you show back up, he's gonna like jump right back yeah. in it as if you never picked or as as if nothing ever happened. Like you just a continuation of the conversation that you left off five years ago. And so I, I think that you would never know whether or not Pony had thought about you in the meantime or not. <laughs> That's fair, because his role in the success of the party is over, and because he's not necessarily invested in the the party's doings on an individual or group level like he's 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 neither involved directly with the party at this point or with the great scuffle i don't think that there's 
it, if he thinks about the party, he's not thinking about you every day, and he's not thinking about you because it matters to him personally. He's thinking about you in a in a, a fondness or a curiosity of oh, I wonder how they're doing. Doesn't matter. Back to work. Sarah, mm-hmm. um, our our pal Morlinde was at that party. She's she's clearly been a a uh, a comrade of James Pony Esquire. But when uh, Morlinde left. She was approached by Orlander Beachtail, the the sprite, <laughs> asking uh, whether or not Morland Day had made good on her promise to knit mittens. And this question comes from our pal uh, Riffin, who's Chris, uh, saying, quote, For the love of all that is holy and right with the world, did Morland Day ever make the mittens? I think as of like the last time that we recorded with Morlinde, no. Uh, however, I'm sure that at some point during our, you know, during the party's next current adventure, the, the adventure without Morlinde, uh, she was harassed enough by Orlando Beachtail to finally make them. So. I'm assuming that she has sat down and made those goddamn mittens. Those goddamn mittens. After the, like, once she's kind of settled in uh, what she's working on in the Watch Forest. Basically was just putting it off, totally forgetting about it. And then Orlando was like, in, in not just Orlando Beastale, but like all of them were like, where's the mittens? What, what, did I have to make mittens for everybody? Like for the no, hundreds no, no, of thousands no, no, no. or just for Orlander? Probably just Orlander. Okay. That would be two hundreds of thousands mittens. Yeah, that'd be a lot of mittens. <laughs> but they're all very small mittens. Extremely small mittens, but mittens nonetheless. Yeah, so yes, it happened. I think that would be a really fun, like, pet scene or revisiting thing for maybe like a Drunks and Dragons kind of thing. A disadvantage, maybe. Do it, do it like a how the other half lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Linda finally makes the mittens. Yeah, and it's like done in like a, a skill challenge, <laughs> so it's oh dramatic. <laughs> you fuck up the whatever. Ho- I don't know how to knit. You fuck up the hooky <laughs> holy thingy, and now the mittens all fucked. The mittens all fucked. Now what? What are you gonna do? Start new mittens, I guess. I'm gonna read another Daniel question. Uh, this one's for Steven. What was the motivation behind creating a character who is voluntarily nonverbal? If I remember correctly, I think Joe actually pitched it at me mm-hmm. initially. Uh, came to me and was like, hey, how would you feel about this? Because um, uh, I hadn't considered it. I'd come up with the the character. I'd come up with Urshan, like the class and like the overall backstory. Um and as this is a show where we strive for various forms of representation, uh, I, I liked the idea, though when we initially talked about it, it, um, it wasn't what we have now. The, uh, Joe wanted a character that used sign language primarily, um, but I think I was the one who sort of came up with the story reason, I guess. Um, yeah. And this, uh, in a little bit, this sort of gets into the second question that I have over here on the sheet, but I'll save most of that answer for later. Um, but when thinking about this, I I felt a little uncertain about portraying like a deaf character, um, 
because that is not only you know not a life I have lived, um, but also not a life I am like close to or or uh, like well versed in. You know, like it's just not something that's that's even in my immediate sphere of influence. Um, but uh, so like the overall. Choosing a character who is who is nonverbal d- due to uh, trauma um, was something I felt more familiar and more comfortable with. Um, but yeah, it was it was largely something p- Joe pitched at me for representation, and I thought it was cool, and I wanted to find a way to to do it because I I think that kind of thing is really important. But I also wanted to find a way to do it that I thought would work for me uh, and that wouldn't come off as like weird. I don't know. <laughs> Let's, let's follow that up with the, the, the question right underneath it from Riley. God bless Riley, by the way. Uh, I'm assuming that everybody here saw that uh, Riley made the Kickstarter for the uh, Arita Mission podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, look forward to that recording. Um, did, you ever, did y'all ever check out the sample that they put out? Yeah. Uh, obviously, it was kind of short. Daniel and I were... Uh, trying to overlap our schedules and we only had a couple hours and so that's that's what we got out of usable audio for that but riley's editing is really good uh riley's editing is top tier because that like compared to the session we played in terms of like mine and daniel's uh (laughs) experience and what we were what we were bringing to the table like riley really turned it into something cool so riley's question is did we consult with anybody uh in the dhs DHH community, which is deaf and hard of hearing community, hard of hearing. about yeah. the signing. Um, Riley continues saying that they think that we've done a great job describing Urshan's communication and establishing the rules for cuspal sign language, like uh, two-handed formal, one-handed informal, um, but are just wondering what inspired that. That specific thing just sort of developed naturally in the span of us playing, the like the, the rules for it. I also think uh, the, well, sorry, the short answer is no <laughs> to the first part, or at least I, I didn't. Um, I did some, you know, some YouTube watching and some article reading, but I don't personally know anyone in the uh, deaf, hard of hearing community. So I, I didn't have anyone to, to reach out to directly um, and didn't want to do like a, hey, the Internet, you know, like, <laughs> just put out some kind of all call like that. Um but uh, the when thinking about this and when thinking about the world that it's that it's placed in the the cuspal sign language existing there as a sort of form of common, I I really like what we did with that. Uh, it's a bit of a pipe dream for like reality, you know. I'd love where sign language is just like a natural part of what most everybody learns. Um, cause I think there's just some awesome utility to it for so many reasons. And I think, uh, some kind of sign language could function as a common tongue a lot of times better than like, you know, English currently does. Um, so some of that was that, like wanting to portray this sort of cool pipe dream of, of that being just like a thing everybody knows how to do. Um, but, uh, a lot of it has just come as it has come it has it has been developing as we go um and we're we're sort of working it out and we do still talk about things ahead of time if we're going to try something too too different but for the most part it's just 
developing how it's developing. There, there's a podcast that I took a lot of inspiration from when asking Stephen if uh, if he'd be willing to do a um, a non-speaking character, and that's which is comes from the captain off of the uh, the podcast campaign Skyjacks, um, who is also a nonverbal character, uh, and so that it's seeing that done or hearing that done in, in their show that like showed me that it was something that was achievable that that was something that could be possible and a, a way to do it and and that you didn't have to say in, in character now oh let's go over to the tavern and we will have a conversation there that there's a way that you can say urshan will sign to the group in a, a one-handed non-formal that hey we need to go have a meeting and discuss at the tavern you know <laughs> and and just like showing that there's a way to, to work that into um a uh, something that is a, a visual language into a or an audio podcast one-handed informal the two-handed formal might come from that i don't know <laughs> it, if it if it did it came over um carried over from me not through steven steven i don't think you've listened to campaign skyjacks at all have you i you sent me like one episode Mm -hmm. um as a reference and i did check that out i do not recall anything about the uh the the formal versus informal but if we borrowed it thanks it's a cool idea (laughs) it's a great it's the best 10 out of 10 would absolutely recommend checking out that show it's one of my favorites um my computer is dying quickly because uh, I didn't plug it in. So I'm going to go get my charger. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm going to still throw the next question. This is one that I brought myself. This is not one of the mailbag questions. It's one of the ones Joe asked us to prepare. It's for everybody. The question is kind of what got you into D&D, but not in the way that like we've answered it before. I want to know, what did, what did you all know about D&D? before you even got the chance to play D&D for the first time. So it's a sort of two-part, like, what preconceived notions were you coming into that experience with, and what about that sounded fun <laughs> and that you wanted to try it? I can go first, because honestly don't know if I had any preconceived notions of D&D and what D&D was. I can tell you that me and my older brother saw the starter set at like a Hastings in Springdale. Nice. Rip Hastings. Yeah, I saw knights and I saw dragons and I was like high fantasy stuff and I was like, that's my jam. And we got it and we just kind of tried to figure it out where one of us would play the DM and the other one would control the whole party. <laughs> so it was oh, wow. Like a, yeah. So there was no, like, role-playing element, really. It was just, like, let's grind through this dungeon, basically. Mm -hmm. You played an analog video (laughs) game, is what you did. Yeah, we did. (laughs) Something clicked, and I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, it was just a video. Like, to me, it was just, like, an analog video game. And then the other parts didn't come till like, high school. And, like, I didn't have any of those, like, oh, this is for nerds, and this is how this should go or or blah 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 or like the tropes or anything because i was just like rolling dice and trying to see if i killed something you know nice Mm -hmm. 
the the question is sort of two parts, but mostly like before you played D and D at all for the first time, however long before that was, like what were what did you know about the game? What were your preconceived notions? And then as kind of a tag into that, like what about that seemed cool and made you want to play? Because uh, like I wanted to play long before I ever got an opportunity to play. Uh, I didn't know a damn thing about the game. I mean, I, I I knew the name because who doesn't know sure. the name, right? It's 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 at least uh, mm-hmm. next to dinner table style name recognition. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything about the game or the gameplay really. But I had just gotten finished playing uh, Skyrim a lot, and I went and visited Bailey and Conway doing a band thing, and I found the fourth edition handbook on her table. And I started asking questions from that. And it sounded immediately really cool because I had just come out of another medieval role-playing game. And so this is just doing it in the analog way. It was very neat. I, I like the idea. I didn't ha- carry any sort of like stigma with it. It was just excitement. When thinking about these questions, when Joe was like, come up with some questions, I was like, I'm only going to, I got to think about things I have answers for. And this one is one that I, that I came up, I guess, kind of with the answer first. I was thinking about my own experiences and that's what made me wonder about you guys. I heard about D and D, I guess like first through osmosis, the way most of us do like hearing it mentioned, but not really knowing anything about mm-hmm. it. But when I was in high school, uh, I had this like idea of it being a th- like definitely a thing that nerds do like clearly very high fantasy but not like I didn't I considered myself a nerd so like it wasn't like a oh that's lame I'm not gonna do it um <clears throat> and like I knew there were dice I knew there were little mini figurines and for some reason I knew that there was a weird satanic panic scare about it in the 80s uh I, I I just that was just floating around in the back of my mind for some reason. Um, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> like I don't know who would have told me that. Um, the first time I actually tried to play D anD D, I was at uh, I was at a summer program between my is either sophomore and junior year or junior and senior year um, in high school. And I think it was sophomore and junior. Uh, And it was nerd camp, basically. Um, And I was there. I was the dumb kid. There was a bunch of, like, kids who... A lot of kids who went to uh, ASMSA. Um, And so, like, they're all, like, no programming languages and shit. Um, And so, like, they were gonna do a little one shot. I don't even think I even get to really play. They kind of just walked me through character creation and then we got distracted and then did other shit, but I was intrigued and it seemed very overwhelming. And then I didn't get a chance to play it again until college. Um, but that little bit was enough to like grab hold of me. Uh, it's so funny too. Now thinking back to my, what my preconceived notions about it were, specifically with the satanic panic thing mm-hmm. it's like D is the like least harmful thing i can imagine like <laughs> i don't i don't know where all that fear came from it's very bizarre uh, i had a very similar experience to uh Jesse. uh when i was very like way younger i think i got we we'd always go into uh 
you know, Twiz- or occasionally we'd go into Twizzler Us and, you know, pick something out. And I think that at one point I was like, oh, this looks cool. I've, I've you know, vaguely heard of D&D or something. Um, and so bought, I think I bought like the fourth edition starter kit cool. or something with my allowance money that time. Um, and got it, opened it, realized that it was a lot more involved than... <laughs> um, and so I like tried to read some of the stuff, uh, realized that you needed like a DM and the players and I wanted to play. So then I tried to get my mom to be the DM. Uh, and so my mom would try to, was trying to DM, but she would like- Go mom. She would like read everything. Oh. So I'd be like, mom, no, you don't read all of it. You don't read, <laughs> you read just this part. <laughs> and so uh, that was probably the first, like, that was the first experience I had playing D&D. And it wasn't really until college that I like actually got to play D&D. Um, but. I hadn't really had any experience with D&D. I played a ton of RPGs growing up, like started with Paper Mario and then got into some of the tougher ones. I kind of stopped playing video games for a while because I was in college and I didn't have any money. And I was kind of looking for something that like did what video games did, uh, but didn't cost as much as a Nintendo because they were expensive. And my parents had played D&D and my big brother, like they had like talked about playing D&D when they were younger. And then my big brother was playing D&D with all his friends, but I didn't like any of his friends, so I didn't want to play. Um, But it always sounded really fun. And I was like, man, if I didn't hate your friends so much, I would totally go play this with you. Um, And so I always like knew it was something I wanted to do, but like didn't go out and like look for it um, until y'all were playing it in college. And then I hopped on and I'm glad I did. But I really guess I was just like, you know, you don't know how awesome it is until you just do it. Thanks, Yessie. But yeah, I never had any like preconceived notions about it. It was just like a this is a thing that nerds do, and I am a nerd, so We you started playing a spellcaster then too, right? I know, like a fucking dumbass. <laughs> I never and again, no no amount of focus will ever I can't I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Spellcasters are hard. They're hard. I also struggle. I thought about playing like a sorcerer in Baldur's Gate, and then I realized I can't do one <laughs> in, in real life. Why do I think I would be able to do that on a video game? Why was that going to make my life easier? You know, it's got to be easier, right? It has to be easier because some of it's like, a lot of it's like automated, right? Like, uh, a, a lot of it, yes, but, but I, I still don't know. I'm, I'm still not that confident. I went with playing a rogue because I love me some rogues. I don't yeah. want to play a rogue. Uh, that actually ties into a question that I was going to ask and then was also on the document, which was, <laughs> um, but what what's your like current favorite like tabletop RPG or just like video game RPG right now? I haven't played really any other TTRPGs besides D&D for much of any length of time. I've played Gloomhaven a couple times, so I'll say that for another TTRPG. Because I've actually played a couple games of Gloomhaven in the last two years. 
As far as video games, though, ah, I like Fire Emblem. <laughs> That's just. Ooh, which one? Uh, all of them, but the the Game Boy Advance ones are still probably my favorite. Like where permadeath meant something, you know. Mm. Yeah, but you can still play on permadeath mode. Even I, the, I know, but you think to. I have the option, and it's like, eh. It's, it used to not. It used to just be your character died, yeah, and I you know. restarted, and you lost the last hour and a half of your life, and you're like, okay. <laughs> and then you set the game down for a day, and then you come back later. <laughs> I don't know if I have any other TTRPGs as much either. Some of that I have played now a few different TTRPG formats, um, but I approach all of them kind of the same. Mechan like rule systems the same way I approach ordering food at a Mexican restaurant, which is I'm gonna get the same thing. I just have to figure out what they call it here. Uh, and that's basically <laughs> what I do with tabletop games is like chicken, cheese, and rice. Yeah, with veggies. I want the veggies in there. But like I I I know how I want to be in the world. Like, I know the character or whatever that I want to have to do. So then I just have to go and figure out how the rules tell me I have to do it. Um, so in a lot of ways, like, all TTRPG systems are the same because I'm going to be a silly goose no matter what. Um, though I will say, I have an unreasonable obsession with Warhammer 40k, which is not, I guess, like a TTRPG, though it is a tabletop game. For someone who has never played it and probably never will, I am way more obsessed with it than I should be. <laughs> it just seems so cool. <laughs> my, I haven't played any non-D&D RPGs in a while. It just doesn't fit into my schedule as much anymore. But my top three favorite non-D&D uh, RPGs that I've played, number one, Infestation, where you play as bugs. <laughs> that game's awesome. Uh, basically, it's just you you play in this like hoarder house, and you can play as like five or six different bugs, and it's awesome. Uh, number two, the Warhammer Fantasy role playing game. I think that game's awesome. Uh, it is slightly more hardcore than D and D. Like you're you're supposed to be more likely to die. Ooh. Um, but and there's like you know a big giant like crit table so if you get critted like you roll a d100 and it's also percentile dice based which i thought was which i think is really neat where basically if your skill is like a 65 in ranged then you roll the dice and if you get mm. below a 65 on your d100 roll then you hit or whatever um and then number three is numenera uh i like the flavor of that world a lot it is basically um imagine earth but um civilization has like reached its peak and completely fallen um and then reached its peak and completely fallen six times oh neat um and so you are we are on we are basically in the medieval era of the sixth cycle of earth civilization um so there's all this random technology all over everywhere from all these ancient civilizations and so you play as explorers that are going out and finding all of these random technologies and bringing them back to towns and trying to make the world a better place in a way. But you have no idea how anything works. You're just like trying to figure it out. And so like, you know, you might uh, hop, uh, stumble across something that like 
it was actually a bomb or something. Are you <laughs> something that's super useful? And um, I also really like character creation in that game. You can start at a higher level or with more experience points by giving yourself detriments. Um, so like if you start, like say you're like, I can't speak or whatever, like I'm a robot and my voice box doesn't work. Um, then you might start at level two or something. Um, and I think that's pretty neat too. The one game that I never get tired of is uh, the TTRPG All Hands on Deck, which is, which, uh, oh, wait, we played that one. We played that one. Um, we did. For and uh, by the time this is out, it that will be on YouTube for the internet for all to see. Yes, it will. Go so find us on go YouTube. Go check out our YouTube channel. Advantage D&D. Uh, it uses... It's a... Go ahead. I was going to say, it's hard to search. Uh, on the YouTube search engine, we don't show up because there's nothing there. Uh, just check out our various other socials. It will probably be posted there. <laughs> You'll find it. I tried searching our channel, like Advantage D&D. That does not work. That's really? frustrating. Uh, We're there. Well, because uh, you can directly type in the URL. Like, you can, you know, go to youtube.com slash advantage dnd that works but if you just go into the search bar there's two reasons you will not find us one it's a small channel with content that hasn't like that hasn't had any new content in a while so that just gets moved to the bottom uh but two there are so many videos explaining the advantage mechanic and so you're not Go find us on Twitter or something. Like, <laughs> just go, go to one of our, our channels and subscribe, you know, so, so that you can find it. Because otherwise, you're not gonna. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it's a little unfortunate. Uh, it's That's really the only place where it's an issue, but it's definitely an issue on YouTube. <laughs> well, um, aside from All Hands on Deck, which is just like this um, fun... Uh, deck of card based rng uh question answer storytelling game um i also really want to play the game old gods of appalachia which is based off the podcast of the same name uh, and i want to run it in a uh, old gods of the ozarks style uh gameplay um it's based off the cypher system uh i have it have you even have the physical copy of the book uh and i've read it have a hard time understanding it but I'm working on it. I'm trying to get there. Um, I also have a lot of respect for the uh, Morkborg game and all its uh, all the hacks that have been generated off of it. One of my favorites, Pirate Borg. Um, but I also that really was cool. Play... It was cool. I also really want to play uh, their Western hack, which is called Frontier Scum. Um, <laughs> what else do I really like? Uh, Oh, I, I think that the Genesis system would be really cool, uh, which has a lot of, like, mixed success RNG generations. Um, and I think that the idea of a mixed success is a very cool thing, and so that they've figured out how to, like, actually codify that into... What does RNG mean? Oh, uh, <laughs> random number number generator. Oh, like got the, it. The equivalent of, like, rolling a dice, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're using a number um, generator. Fun. Well, kind of. Uh, I mean, the dice is a number. A dice is a random number. Oh, generator. you're right. Yeah. And frankly, it's more um, random than a random number generator, which is not actually random. 
All right, you math nerd. Sorry, continue, Joe. There's a lot of games that I would love to play um, and uh, that I have my eye on. We should do an an advantage tries different systems, like the cast of advantage tries all these. That'd be fun. Speaking of random, one of my favorite, like, random number generator-y type facts is, is about the iPod Shuffle. Uh, so cool. They, yes. write, they had to write an algorithm to make it not actually random because people were upset that random was random. So they would get, like, two songs from the same artist back to back. Or even the same song right after yeah. itself. Or yeah, you'd hear the same song three times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, random doesn't feel random in, unless you had, unless you cheat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is for Yessi and Zach. Um, where Linda and Arik both had pretty clear motivations to leave, did you also think about bringing new characters in? That's from Riley. Like, realistically think about it, no, because we had discussed how <clears throat> it would, f- it wouldn't, for the continuity, it wouldn't feel good if, like, the whole party was new. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it, I think, why Grimton and Alaris were still there. But also, it it did feel like their story just wasn't over there with uh, with uh, the establishing of Nui Satalos and everything. So, no? Short answer? Uh, not really. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I also mm-hmm. ever really gave serious thought it did seem fun whenever they were making new characters and like were you know i was like man i'm kind of jealous about making new characters but i don't think i no i don't think alaris was ready to stop adventuring uh if grimton or alaris die do you have something that you'd want to replace it with you've asked this before and mm-hmm. I've, I've given an answer, and I don't remember. Well, what's your answer now? To what would replace Grimton? Uh-huh. Ah. Or rather, like, what race class mixture set in the cusp do you think would be fun? Not necessarily, uh, like, story-wise, could we create in the moment, but... Sure. Spellcaster. I, I like Dragonborn. Now we have a Dragonborn, an Urshan. Class-wise, I I kind of want to play a monk. I still do. I've I've played a monk in a one-shot with uh, with Ian. They seem fine. You know, they don't get a lot of shine. I think I think there's just like better versions of them in Five E. But I don't really I don't really care about that. So I think monk would be cool. As far as a race, I don't know. Um, I there was at one point I think you asked me that where I contemplated just seeing if if Alaris died, if like Maylin would be a good replacement. But I also ah. don't know if I would, uh, Ooh. Damn, that would go hard. Um but at the same time it's it's kinda hard to take over a character like one of Joe's characters and would it be the same character, you know, if, right. if it was me playing it versus Joe and like, there's a lot to think about there. But regardless, that, that I did give that some thought at one point. Um, what what would Maylin's class be? Badass. Badass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, 
She gives me pretty strong like roguish vibes, but not yeah, like, like in like a rogue or not in like the ne'er do well sort of way, but like the the going out and just doing what you want sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, probably somewhere in the Rogue Ranger paradigm. I take that back. I do know what I would want Griffith's replacement to be. I'd want him to be a bard, Joe. <laughs> and you're going to do it well, right? And I'm going to channel James Brown into this campaign. <laughs> that would be interesting. I would like to remind all of the listeners that just because we haven't died <laughs> doesn't mean that we can't. We have before answered yeah. the question, please describe your character's heroic death. Uh, or what would you want out of your character's heroic death? Joe has had that information for a long time and is not afraid to kill one of us. It would be really fun to play a bard that is a professional wrestler. Hey, there you go. <laughs> That's such a I mean, good idea. I mean, they basically are bards. They are bards. Like, That's yeah. storytelling. You don't have to be a musical bard. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't sing. I, can I might be, still want to play a bard. I could be a politician and be a, stand-up be a bard. comedian. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Every guy in the AEW nah. is a bard. Uh so go, going off of the Maylin stuff, this is a question for Zach from our friend Wise Jazzer uh, Jorge. Alaris had a girlfriend. Is that relationship still going on or is that over? Uh Jorge can't remember. All he remembers is that it didn't end in a conflicted way. Give us an update, True. Zach. Uh, I mean, Malin and um, Alaris are still together. It's it's very much one of those things where, um, you know, they're both kind of living their own life, doing their own thing, and whenever they get to see each other, it's it's great. And they still have the mirror page. They still write back and forth. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot. Like, when we pick back up the game, I think that there'll probably have been several messages back and forth in the meantime. We can go over that or something. When we get there, but yeah, they're still they're still together. Um, now, who knows where what Maylin's doing and where she is currently? I I don't know that, but um, I think last we knew she was in Triumph, right? Yeah, she was heading like to the, the Zadal area. I think she was in Triumph. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll have an excuse to to go over there at some point. Me sending her that direction, uh, I, I might cut this out, but that's leading up to uh, like an arc four thing. Ooh. Just gonna casually drop that in there. (laughs) Malin's the BBEG. (laughs) You didn't expect this. This whole time. What's BBEG? Big bad evil guy? Yes. You got it. Yes. That's probably the most like Sarah acronym. Honestly. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, like it's the, it is just a literal description of the thing as an acronym. Big bad evil guy. <laughs> uh, Sarah. Urshan clearly has some sort of social justice motivation going on. What about Agnar? Does she have any idea what she wants to do slash rule once she kills the Jarl? This is also from Wise Jazzer. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, as a player, I really struggle to separate like my ideas, values, and morals from the character, um, which is why I was excited to play a new character because, like, Moralinde was a pretty clear reflection of my own morals, values, etc. 
but I'm struggling. Um, You're not vegan. No, but I do eat a lot of vegetables. I have not eaten meat today. Oh, so I don't know. I want Agnar to be pretty ruthless. But then we get in the moment. Yeah. And then I'm like, I can't kill the sailors. Um, so that's that's something I'm struggling with right now is like. I think that uh, Agnar is more ruthless than I'm currently playing her. But I am struggling to like make it happen and be consistent. Let me play her for like one session. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> yes, burned down. Do <laughs> Have you heard of the term scorched earth? <laughs> <laughs> we will salt the fields where they marched anyway. Go on. <laughs> what, so what are what are Agnar's goals other than kill Gleb Headtaker? Revenge. Uh that's something I've been trying to figure out myself because the main goal is kill Gleb. I do think that I don't think she knows. I think she is so focused on this one thing that like, she's not really considering the other stuff. Yeah. She's got a tunnel vision. Yeah. She's definitely got a tunnel vision for that. But as we see, like getting to that point, there are lots of little steps in between uh where she's having to decide what kind of warrior what kind of leader she wants to be and um and so i'm having to make those decisions and again i don't right now she's not being as ruthless as i want her to be but that's a that's like a a player problem that's like a me problem uh which is fun which is why i really like playing this character but i'm just like like, I shouldn't have been so fucking nice to those sailors. <laughs> like. <laughs> so Ian's question for everybody is, how has your vision of advantage changed since you started producing it? Oh, man. That's so a man. good one. That's a loaded question, particularly considering our most recent business meeting. Okay. Yeah. Um. I will say for... I want to go first, actually. I'm going to go first. I'm going to answer the the question. Uh, I think that, you know, we first started playing. Actually, I do think one thing that stayed the same is it's a way to, like, still hang out with our friends from college, even though we all live far, far away. One thing that I think has changed is, like, for me, seeing the world really expand with every arc um, has been really, really cool. Yeah, that is very cool. And that's that's really exciting to me seven years in. My vision of advantage has definitely changed a lot because uh, when we first started, like you were saying, it was largely just to keep playing. And we even we even made jokes about early on how like nobody was ever going to listen to the show. Like it was going to be like just our moms or whatever. Like it was a bit of a running gag for a while. Uh, and so one of the things for me that has changed it changed about the show and therefore altered how I view it was like that we have a more substantial listenership than I could have predicted. Uh, even, even now, as far as we are into it, there's still a few hundred people that check out on every new episode, every time it drops. Uh, and that is absolutely insane to me. Um, in, uh, in terms of our most recent business meeting, uh, 
Advantage is, is going to spread out a little bit. Not in terms of, like, release dates or how often we play, but in terms of kinds of things that we are making and engaging. This The live streams have been really fun. We've liked those. The YouTube content's looking pretty sick. Uh, we're going to end up, because of the nature of how much work all that is, uh, we're going to end up outsourcing some of that work. Uh, specifically editing so that Joe can have a life and not uh, an unpaid part-time job. Because <laughs> um, it is, man. It's so... Editing is a whole thing. Um, so I've now come to view Advantage as, like, for lack of a better term, a brand. Like, the thing that we bring is is our story but it's it's the story we created the, the thing that people i think come back for is whatever we're doing <laughs> whether it be our main story arc or just absolute nonsense um that uh that i guess sort of quasi parasocial relationship seems to be present and uh it's important it's cool i don't know so, we're pretty social with the actual people that contact us we really are like our our like Okay, I wonder about this. Okay, because like obviously there's the people in the Discord, right? And but as I was just commenting on, there's like at least 150, 200 people that listen to new episodes when they. That's drop. true. There are so many people that I'm, are not talking to us, and that is I know, wild to me. And I'm so curious. Mm -hmm. Get on the Discord. Who are you people? Get on the Discord. Like, come say Get hi. On the Discord. I it's free. Be uh, our friend and be our friend i just like what because it's like it's a perspective thing right because i can think about like certain podcasts i listen to and how they're like oh yeah we have a community discord i'm like okay well i'm never yeah, never yeah. uh because because i well and it's also like i see those shows i listen to on the same level as anything else i consume which is not a thing to interact with directly personally. right right like watching, like when I watch like a, a bigger YouTuber or something, like I'm sure I can go join their Discord, but like I'm not gonna talk to them. Like, and if I do, it's gonna be I'm gonna be lost in their Twitch chat or whatever. And so like, I like, do y'all see us that way? <laughs> like, is that why you won't come talk to us? Because uh, we're not that. <laughs> we're not cool enough. I don't know. I think about that a lot. I think about those couple hundred people checking out every new episode and just wonder who they are and what they're doing and why they care that much. I appreciate them. I love them. I want them to keep caring. I just don't. We appreciate <laughs> you. We it. love you. <laughs> because yes. presumably you're also listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to a podcast to where it. when they talk directly at the listener, they say, you, dear listener. <laughs> I used to to listen to a podcast that had a running joke about the fourth listener because <laughs> there were three people who worked on the podcast and so the fourth listener was just like the one guy the one yeah. other person yeah and they have a proper listenership but the fourth listener became yeah. the audience uh -huh. like this, I yeah. like it when internet personalities refer to their audience or chat as the internet because that's how it feels <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah I saw a thing of, of uh, how chat has almost become, like, a separate pronoun. Yeah. Let's go, uh, chat. Totally right. It, yeah. Like, functionally in language. Like, chat, what do we think about yeah. that? You know, like, it's, it's, like totally. a, it's like a group pronoun, and I like that. I think it's fun. I didn't know much 
in the space of like um, content creation or like specifically like Dungeons and Dragons or TTRPG content creation when we started and I haven't seen much outside of like some Dimension 20 so I don't have a good concept of like what we're doing and what they're doing and like what all that because that's obviously like a big production one so in terms of like the vision for this i always just pictured us just like playing and putting out audio content and i was thinking about it the other day like i think you guys are the only friend group where i have like consistently like met up with and like interacted with over the course of the last like better part of a decade because like I have other friends, obviously. Sorry to break it to you guys, but what? <laughs> what? What? Like, <laughs> fuck yeah! I don't think I see them anywhere nearly as regularly as like you guys. Consistently meeting up every two weeks. Yeah. Like which, on a calendar. Which meet doesn't up every two weeks. Yeah, which doesn't seem like that much, even when you put it that way. But but as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, like, as an adult, that's a I, shit time. <laughs> I come home, I, like, consume some media, kiss my wife, go to bed. Like, that's <laughs> that's my days, Monday through Friday, pretty much. I love it here. Late-stage capitalism. I come home, kiss Jesse's wife, and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was kind of weird. Jesse, but... <laughs> yeah, my friends... <laughs> It's, it's Joe says hi, but like the next one. No, Joe, the windows are locked. <laughs> Joe says hi. Jesse's got the advantage. Okay. Somebody, somebody out there in the listenership uh, who makes video games, I need you to make like a shitty indie horror game with Joe as the, the monster. Uh <laughs> No, there's please. something like that, right? Like where you, there's like your neighbor or something that's trying to sneak into your house, or Hello, there's neighbor? a there are so there's, many games there's that a are video similar game like in concept. That, I swear. So just like mod it so that just, Joe. <laughs> so make it. <laughs> um, you know, I think at the end of the day, my personal vision for advantage hasn't really changed that much because I think at the end of the day, it is mostly just a, you know hang out with with everyone and get to play games you know um and i think that mostly what we've been figuring out is how is the best way to continue to do that while it being the least stressful on all of us as it can be you know because we are all adults with with jobs and stuff so that the the more like businessy side of it and stuff i think is more just a byproduct and a problem to solve rather than like necessarily like a change in vision um i think that it might change one if if like say these new projects are starting like actually get the ball rolling and you know like if if we suddenly have like a thousand patrons or something out of the blue then the perspective changes a little bit but mm-hmm. you know yeah. for now it's just you know hanging out with buds playing a game and then uh, meeting new buds, you know? I, I think that's always been the core and always will be the core. And I think that's part of why it's been what I would consider very successful for so long is because, like, 
sure, we want people to listen. We want to put out a good product. Like, there's a production element involved. But, like, mostly we're homies. <laughs> and we like to be homies together. Yeah, if we were colleagues first, then we would have a very different relationship. But I, I, mm-hmm. but that we are friends first and we're doing this because we're friends. It makes it ex- accessible for us. It makes it towards something we want to do rather mm-hmm. than something that's primarily a job. Right. I'll ask Joe a question. Ooh, again, the Daniel question. Daniel, your questions are my favorite. Um, the Daniel questions. Uh, what are your philosophies of encounter design? Um, and your name blocked the thing. Move your mouse, Joe. What is the thought process behind uh, how to create and subsequently manage an encounter? Yeah, Joe. Str- it's struggle. It's primarily struggle. <laughs> but um, it always turns out so good. Oh, great. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that my glimmer has... Uh, shielded you from the reality that my encounter designs are shit encounters that are very much encounter design admire is hard. are um are ian and john's encounters um from uh incendium rpgs and dragon mine respectively uh because they actually like put some serious thought into it right they they make it a game within the game and uh they know their monsters very well and they know the um the environment that it's taking place in very well and the ways they, they predict the ways um, that the uh, environment will affect the monster, vice versa, uh, the different stages of the design and um, the uh, immunities that the monster has, the resistance that the monster has and how that's going to affect each uh, character in the party. Um, and I ignore all of that because I'm a bad <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons player. Um, instead, I think of, oh shit, I should probably have a combat encounter. It's been a while since we've had a combat encounter. What's a way that I can make a combat encounter happen? Um, and then what's the way that I can make it make the most sense in the reality of the world? Because I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate. My least favorite thing is combat that is meaningless and like isn't actually moving the story forward or at least mm-hmm. like showing you something about the environment and revealing something about the environment like uh, random encounter tables um, are uh, useless to me because I think that they're a bunch of bullshit um, and so uh, I, I think of story first then how do I make a combat happen in there because otherwise why am I playing Dungeons and Dragons at all why am i not just playing like a social simulator of some sort then therefore from my perspective as a dungeon master and producer and the person that listens to the show more than anybody else uh that makes my combat really lack and i'm thankful that i have a stellar cast of characters and players that are able to make it interesting um but for the most part i feel very disappointed and so uh daniel by you asking this question i feel not called out i'm flattered by the question but I feel very de- no, I feel defensive. Not- <laughs> I feel defensive of myself because, from my perspective, um, it's just a bunch of uh, bullshit. One of my favorite things about Joe's style of encounter 
And I think that why some of them might feel more high stakes than they are is Joe's uh, proclivity towards the like quote unquote skirmish type mm, enemy. That is true. The, that is true. Um, the low HP, high damage enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it that that helps a lot, especially in this podcast format, because we are generally not wanting to slog through a long combat. So not having those high HP enemies helps a lot with speeding it up, but also that high damage output adds that natural tension because one hit and suddenly someone like poor Wizard Alaris is like is down like <laughs> by one hit. Um so I think yeah. that, that actually helps a lot with our particular media format. That 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 is a good point, Zach. I do have a uh more philosophy that I guess that I gave myself credit for. Um, one of the reasons why I like the games, uh, the the Morkborg uh, game and its hacks are its lethality of it. Because yeah, first hit you're screwed. The second hit you're done. You know, um, and, unless you play your cards right, or at least, or unless you're expecting it, and are that's like part of the fun of the game is the lethality of it. So, so yes, I do have very much of glass cannon uh, encounters um, from the enemy's perspective, at least. I like to hit hard because I don't want to spend an hour, two hours uh-huh. in a fucking combat. I think that's annoying as hell. It's not good radio. It's just not. I was going to say <laughs> bad, bad radio. radio. And, like, I've been in, like, your encounters, and you, you brought up Ian. I've, I've never played with John, so I don't know what that's like but i've I've played with ian now several times in various formats and like y'all are both definitely very different in terms of of how you guys go about things but like both of them are very rewarding in their own way and i think joe talking about your the the encounter design while i think I, I definitely get the the insecure feelings of like mechanical encounter design. I do think your your story philosophy of counter uh, encounter design is just mm-hmm. as important because I don't think we've ever had a combat where I was like, well, that was a fucking waste of time. Like everything, even the smaller ones, even the the they were um, less intense, maybe. Like, they were all cool, generally pretty memorable, and they felt like they pushed the story along. Because I also don't like fights just for the sake of fights. I played... uh, Y'all have heard me complain about the first Final Fantasy game. Uh, (laughs) I played that thing with a walkthrough, I would like to point out. um, Because I just wanted to see what the whole game was like. And Talk about battles for the sake of battles. Yeah. Oh my god, it's, so it's half the I game. Really, like I feel like I've just been like brainwashed to accept that from those early Final Fantasy games because mm-hmm. I just played them so much as a kid. I don't even think about it. I'm like, yeah, that's just Final Fantasy. You just it's wander about and getting some random ha- encounters. If you cut that shit out, it would you would lose half the game. Uh but also like having as many as it, it like there's not not only is like uh, some of them just not fun to do but like after a point there it's just like ah like give me a give me a boss fight like give me a real fight give me something that matters and i think so i think your approach to trying to have meaningful encounters and meaningful combat is fun i also th- like joe likes to do to give us other things that aren't the combat to be stressed about during combat 
Um, and I like mm-hmm. that. I th- I mean, in the moment, I'm stressed out, but in like generally, I, it's a thing I really enjoy. Well, I guess it's my turn to ask questions, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, if you got Jumanji'd into a game, what TTRPG would you want it to be? That's from Riley. Uh, oh. I'll start first. Um, again, my favorite j- genre, Morkborg, would not want it. Would not at all. <laughs> no. Do not want to be in the Morkborg worlds at all. Doesn't matter which heck. Doesn't matter which flavor. It's a bad, bad, bad time. I don't want to be a part of it. I would want to be a part of the old gods of Appalachian world. I think that sounds fun as hell. And I try to live there in my reality uh, as much as possible. Some some cozy RPG. So, something where, like, it's not even combat-based. You're, like, running a coffee shop or some shit like that. I don't have one. Like, I know they exist. I'm on TikTok often enough to know that they're there. Um, but toss me in one of those. Like, I don't... Yeah. I don't even want to be in the D&D 5e world. My, uh... That's my, just scary, my man. My girlfriend's, uh, friend group is currently playing an RPG that I think would be pretty good. It's called Wander Home. Um... It's a it's a game about uh, it's a world of rolling vi- verdant hills, starlit nights filtered in soft blues, and animal folk going on a journey as the seasons change. Oh, delightful! That sounds pleasant. So yeah, that sounds nice. <laughs> um, I don't play enough other tabletop RPGs, and the ones I do play are I can be spooky, which are also not places I want to go to. So, yeah, definitely one of the, like, cozier games, like Stardew Valley. That would be... Yeah, at the end of the day, we all just want to be in Stardew Valley. Yeah, I just want to be an NPC in Stardew Valley. Secretly, accidentally, okay, the, 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 the daughter of the wizard, and we only know because they have the same color hair, and one time there's one line of dialogue that says, oh, by the way, I don't think this baby's mine. The girl with purple hair is totally the wizard's daughter, by the way. Am I the only one who actually finds Stardew Valley like a little bit stressful? Oh yeah, once you get once you get enough shit going, you can't do all your shit in one day. I know that is cuz it's supposed to be like cozy and relaxing, but there's like a calendar and like certain things only happen on certain days and that is like specifically the thing in the real world that stresses That's me out. That's why I had to stop playing uh, uh graveyard keeper because of the calendar and it was too fucking stupid (laughs) like i don't want to be like oh wait whose birthday is it today did i go sell all my stuff what season are we in i gotta make sure to like that sounds stressful as hell man yeah it's more fun in like the first (laughs) couple years before you get too big um Mm. graveyard keeper does that but but Instead of having days of the week that you know and like months that you know, it the days it's like this six day calendar and each day has a fucking shape. And so you don't know what order the fucking days are in. And so the butcher is only open on sun, star, and triangle. And if you go to town and it's not triangle, then you miss it for a whole nother week or whatever. And I just could not. So I get it. The days of the week are sun, star, and triangle. They're like random. They're like shapes. It's like sun, star, triangle, moon. 
I don't know. Like I I was enjoying the game until I couldn't do something for an entire week because I didn't know what day was Tuesday. Because they won't just first call it Tuesday. <laughs> or yeah, first, second, third. Like, oh my god. And it's first in a day, wheel. Day, third day, Wednesday, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. <laughs> yeah, it it could be that easy. They need to take a lesson from the advantage cannon. Mm-hmm. So, D&D, but only if I could be like a sorcerer, something like that. That's a very yesy answer, I feel. And <laughs> anything else? I don't know. Make me like a space marine. Just... Really? Blaze of glory. Oh, like, fun. Fuck it. Because <laughs> canonically, and... Warhammer 40k space marines are like the baddest of asses so like fuck it yeah but I've seen enough videos on what it takes to make <laughs> one uh, and I no thank you <laughs> yeah why not those people are not well mm-hmm. how about another one for Joe let's do, another, let's do one from Ian you mentioned previously that you prefer to DM whenever possible when playing D&D, what made you change your mind to be a player in some games? Because you do play That sometimes. I don't have to d- dungeon master it. I don't have to think about it. Um, which honestly is one of the like downfalls of me as a player. Is because I, I'm, I'm no longer in a thinking mode. I'm in a enjoy the moment mode. Which doesn't make me fun as a player. <laughs> Uh, because I'm not like putting the work into the wor- into the other person's world because all my my energy in tabletop settings is in to advantage, and so like even pl- fuck it, playing Baldur's Gate is too much work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that I, I can't I cannot get into the world of Bald- like the Forgotten Realms, Sword Coast. I I I'm not a part of it. I'm I'm not invested in it because all my RPG in, investing is in advantage. Um, so excellent for me being a dungeon master of advantage is bad for me experiencing anybody else's tabletop games. But the best part about being the player is that I don't have to think about it, but that makes me a bad player. The end. I feel like a lot of your, a lot of your characters do have like vaguely head empty vibes. Uh, but I also enjoy that level of chaos. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> I I think I am Joe, I think I'm your your foil. Like I am I am what you just described but make it the player. Like I st- I'm bad at being a DM. It's it's hard. I'm not good at it and I don't know how to not write all of it. Uh like or like I'll create a bunch of shit but I've no idea how to make my players go through it or whatever. But as a player, it's like, I can be an agent in this world. I see what's happening here. I will make decisions. And so, like, I'm a perma player, man. I love this doing is it. Exactly. <laughs> why you're a part of the cast. That's not exactly why. There are so many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to chalk it up to only that. Well, you got to pick the next. Oh, shit. Okay. You got to pick the next question, too. <sighs> oh. Here's, here's one that's for all of us from Ian. Uh, we created the setting for Advantage before producing it. How much of the cusp has changed or been retconned? 
<laughs> Redcon, all of it. Uh, <laughs> I wonder this about you, Joe. Like, because, like, we'll be doing shit in your world, and then I wonder about the aspects of the world that are changed that we haven't seen yet. Does that make sense? Like, the ripples of either a shitposty thing that we'll do in the middle that now makes that canon for the rest of the cusp, or, like, some major geopolitical event and how that impact. Like, I ain't got no clue what the hell is going up in the Zadal. The addition Zadal. of, a, like, a major <laughs> geopolitical event, such as uh, blowing a hole in the cusp where Maldo Keep was, like, that's that's not retconned or changing anything. That's just adding to it. Like you're you're creating the setting more, and it's it's different from well, where it started. Sure, but. I guess like, I guess I imagine like Zadal, for instance, existing and things happening in Zadal independently of us, and then now we did a big thing like poke a hole in the cusp, and so the world of Zadal that was existing already is now influenced by that. But technically, we ain't been up there and. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, I imagine, I always imagine there's a world going on around mm-hmm. us, and that our the things that we do change things True. in the cusp. Uh, or, or like when uh, more mechanically, like whenever we need to flesh out an area for something, uh, I often wonder if it changes what you initially imagined for those areas, or or well, what have okay. you. Well, okay, so a perfect example of that is the creation of Brogan's Toad House, which happened in the Springwood, which is like <laughs> antithetical <laughs> genre-wise to where I ever would have placed a Brogan's Toad House. Um, <laughs> but I don't feel like that's retconned anything. I think it's enhanced it more. No, I just... Well, sure, but I meant like... It, that is a change, is a departure from what you might yeah, have imagined. I, I, I'm... I am so confident in our world that we've created together that additions like that are fine. If there was ever an issue of uh, continent, co- continent, no, co- continuity, continuity, there we go. Continuity, if ever, yeah. If there was ever an issue of continuity between something else, um, I'm either going to catch it in the moment and ask you to change it, or I'm going to get it in post and it's fine, you know? <laughs> so for for the question, like, I I don't f- feel burdened by it at all. Yeah, we, um, we left a lot of room, like yeah. a, lot of, a lot of gaps to fill <clears throat> whenever we were making the cusp. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like the the cusp in its origin like before we started playing was more like these are the places these are who happen to live in these places mm. yeah it was like big like yeah like p- political players like sort of yep. thing yeah not like here's the central yeah. conflict of the world or whatever mm-hmm. right like and the nitty-gritty random stuff is like, hey, it's fun for us to come up with, like, in the moment. But also, like, there's no need to, I think, in a lot of ways to get that detailed when you're first starting out mm-hmm. on a world. That's just like, going to wear you say, down. Yeah. Like, Joe, say you, you spent two months writing every NPC for the capital of the Pandominion. Mm-hmm. And we never go there. 
I learned my lesson doing that in uh, Gloomrock. <laughs> Back, back, <laughs> back, back <laughs> yeah. in our, our very first yeah. uh, uh, season. Show it a whole notebook. Mm-hmm. And we're like, nah, we're not doing any of that. We're going to go over there. Um, and so that, all those mistakes have been made and learned from. I don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to learn that again. Well, and I think, too, the nature of the cusp, like, yes, we did. a, We all did a lot of prep work. You know, there were the questionnaires mm-hmm. and all that. But the world has always been in active creation, and Joe largely lets us populate. Oh, yeah. Like, we, both in the moment and ahead of time, are responsible for a lot of the NPC creation. Um, because if we need them to flesh out our own backstories. And so, like, or even, you know, like, the with urshan for instance the whole like lace battalion thing like i made that up and now joe has to deal with it you know (laughs) like joe joe lets us populate uh and form uh a a more nebulous world down into smaller details that we're going to all the allies that y'all have in kolgafir were created by sarah and all the other people like sick the blind um and uh, the fishermen, like, y'all created those in the moment. I can't think of a single person that's reoccurring, at least, in, uh, well, I take that back. The, lots of the members of the Heard, of the Jarl's Heard, uh, I, I did create, um, and I, I gave them names. Um, but uh, other than that, like, that that's all you. Yeah. I think we beat that question to death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this one's for me regarding more improvisation. This is from Wise Jazzer uh, Jorge asking about, of, I think, the most recent episode. Um, the question is, about there being insurance in the cusp, did you <laughs> say yes, seeking to move the story along? Yes, there was insurance. Or was that an improvised and not a thoroughly thought-out call? Um, that was it was improvised but that doesn't necessarily make it not thought out the improvisation of saying yes to the the question is there insurance on the cusp my answering yes is taken from the uh, improv technique of yes anding things allowing people to be creative in a mutual world but had it not fit I would have said no but in the moment, I hadn't thought about there being insurance, but my my first thought to the uh, the impetus of is there sure why not was yeah Colgafir can have insurance why wouldn't it have insurance it's it's a world with as much technology or the Colgafir is a, it's a world with as much sophistication as uh, anywhere else in the cusp and I could imagine other nations in the cusp would also have that want and need and creative power to come up with a system like insurance. So yeah, why wouldn't it happen? Yes, and. This is a question from uh, Chris to Yesi. How does Grimton weigh his struggles with what he's recently gone through in Arc 2? A lot of what Grimton went through in Arc 2 was just expanding scope of what he's seen of the world because... 
largely before it was all just very localized, I guess, struggle with her dearth and the red capes and um, being separated from his friends and family. And in arc two, after like having taken a vow of justice, he sees largely the injustice and the cusp as a whole. So it serves to like one minimize like his own personal struggles when he sees like, well, there's just suffering like everywhere. But also like definitely more of a burden that he feels to like try to undo that injustice wherever he goes. <laughs> it helps him like not think about his own, I guess, struggles as much when he's helping others. You can look at it that way. I'll go with this one for all. Um, what are you most looking forward to exploring in the story? That's from John at Dragon Mind. Mm. What am I looking forward to exploring the most? The other half of the planet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it's not a planet. The like, disc. Well, it's, <laughs> it's a big world, you know. There's a lot there, and. I love where where our story is taking us, and I like Joe's overall approach to like hero of the, the you know the local hero and then kind of expanding in sense of scope. Um, but I'm so damn curious what's going on over there. <laughs> it's like a whole other half of the cusp, and I know we'll. There's just no way we won't get over there eventually. Like that's that's it's gonna happen, and I I, I believe deep in my heart that it will. And so that is a thing. I like I will. I'm also now excited about Kolgafir because we're getting to check this shit out. It's neat. Uh, so, like, in the immediate, that's exciting. But, like, I, I want to know... I want to see the whole cusp. I want to go everywhere. I don't want to go everywhere quickly. I want to get there at a natural pace and, like, feel like I had a good chance to explore everything. But I I want to... I want to explore. <laughs> I've, I've, I've mentioned it before on some of the, like, dis... Uh, uh, inspiration episodes and stuff but I think that the thing that I kind of am looking forward to the most exploring is like the ability to stay in one place for an extended period of time that's the mm -hmm. exact opposite of Steven's answer yeah but we're getting to do both at the moment because yeah. we're exploring a new place but we're also going to stay in that place for an extended period of time mm -hmm. um it's just, like, advantage so far has been this giant, globe-trotting, cuspal adventure. And, you know, at the end of the day, it might be nice to just put down some roots somewhere. Yeah, let's get established. <laughs> I think this is always one of my favorite things to explore. But, like, how our actions are going to influence the... The power structures of the cusp because we're like actively trying to usurp a government like it, it's not that's something that will have like far-reaching consequences but beyond like just mm -hmm. what we're doing i'd like to see those dominoes fall i don't know no yes he's uh yes he kind of took mine i i really think um that like as a character like i'm looking at it in a very granular way like a 
again, just uh, like like you guys said earlier, like tunnel vision. Um, but it's always cool to zoom back out and see how those things affect the whole world, especially because I'm I'm not thinking about it until you know several recording sessions later when it's like oh actually this really fucked up shit over there and now you have to deal with it um and that's always really cool i'm looking forward to what was going to be the the most heartbreaking thing about our meeting the other day and i don't want to like i'm gonna cut this out but i'm gonna tell you that what was gonna break my heart the most is that we weren't gonna see the plot that I was building up to for arc four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the scale that you're gonna be at and like in the abstract that you're gonna be at where you're very, very not grounded in a reality you're not gonna be at. And we're gonna miss all of that if we hadn't done arc four. And I could wrap up the story of advantage and, and not touch that, right? Like. Um, had we decided to call it at the end of arc three, we could complete the story. Everything would have been fine. We could even tie a nice little bow on it and the, we wouldn't need to tell the rest of that. But mm -hmm. I think that it would have, it, it would have made me as Joe very sad <laughs> to not get to touch on that uh, scale of conflict that I've been trying to build up to. And to, to stop alluding to it, maybe I'll cut this out, maybe I won't. Um, to stop just alluding to it and just tell the audience now. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I brought it up, brought it to the attention of the cast that like, hey, I am i don't know if I can keep doing this. The work and output wise, so I, I don't know or didn't know if Advantage would be a sustainable project for another potentially six, seven years. Uh, as we've, we've still got basically two full arcs left to cover from what we had intended to do. Throughout that meeting, it became very apparent that that wasn't um, going to be the case. That there are other things that we can do to to save the show and save the work that we've put in and to save our, our love of the project that will make Advantage as a continuing project a workable reality. And that's not without it, a whole lot of new work that has to be involved in it. But I think that it's new work that will eventually give way to a, a decrease uh, for everybody and still continue to make the show what it is and transform it into new things, which are going to be very cool. And it's definitely not what I was anticipating when I uh, came in expecting to say, hey, sorry, we got to ca call this thing short and wrap it up in the next, I don't know, year and a half. And instead coming out redoubled down and invigorated and excited to uh, to change the show and to make it something newer and incredible. So that's something I also look forward to in the future. <laughs> and b before move past that, do I want to keep that in cast? Yeah. I don't see why not. I, don't like anyone. Yeah. I think we should leave it. That, that change is going to happen you know, not too too long after this episode comes out. You know. mm -hmm. Buckle up, listeners. Advantage 2.0 is coming. It's, it's the end of the year. 
what's something that you accomplished this year that you're proud of? Ooh. Specifically for advantage related stuff? No. This is, I was thinking more uh, IRL stuff. Oh. I made money as a musician. Hey. hey. That's good. Like, it's it's ultimately probably still not a net gain in terms of what all I've spent as a musician. <laughs> but like, well, because I'm I'm in more bands now than I've ever been in, and none of them have ever made any money really, because that's not what they're about. You know, they're about the the thing I'm making. Uh, but I have one that is about making money, and we have made <laughs> some money, and it was more than I thought we were gonna make. And so it's I'm proud of that, and I'm looking forward to 2024 with that. Nice. I can't think of anything immediately other than like I went on a vacation. Like we. <laughs> Hell yeah, you did. That is a victory. Yeah, we, yes. That's awesome. I had a like time to just step away from responsibilities for a week and was like, okay, because I didn't do that ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a, a super big accomplishment. Where'd you go on vacation? Chicago. It was fun definitely would recommend definitely will probably go again yeah. in my lifetime Chicago's mm -hmm. fantastic Chicago's fun so much food and we I feel like I barely scratched the surface with the food we ate and it was all pretty good I'm excited and delighted to be teaching in ways that I haven't gotten to teach before the finishness of like getting credentialed as a Montessori teacher isn't there yet like I've, I've still got another half a year uh, and a lot of other work to do, but I am well on that way uh, and it feels great. Zach, what have you done? I got a promotion that I'm, I'm pretty excited about at work. Uh, finally made assistant manager. So hey. Qualified for the regional championship for Magic, so that was kind of cool. Badass. Um, hopefully hopefully that's the, the first of many, but you know, and hopefully we'll go further next time. But. Is your position uh, like a Lorcana based? Uh, my current position that I've been promoted to is assistant manager of pricing. My specific job duties, aside from managerial roles, is I'm responsible for pricing every single Lorcana card, every single flesh and blood card, and then every new magic release. Wow. Resale. That's, that's, so that's a lot. Yeah. Hey, can you tank yeah. the entire market? <laughs> if you to? Like, like, do you have your your fingers in, uh, on? Hey Zach, do me a favor. Zach, yeah, can you just like very briefly cut us a deal? Yeah, can you insider trading us for more content? Um, I mean, like in some ways, yeah, kind of. <laughs> like, you too Joe delete that. can get a great deal on this <laughs> yeah. by going to Star City Games yeah. in Roanoke, Virginia. Yeah, uh, I mean, to be fair, card games are basically an unregulated stock market, so... Well, Why? or, kind of do or you can argue fully regulated, because the market will tell you how much something's worth. <laughs> yep. Well, except for the people that with big pockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the market says this is five dollars. I know it was a dollar yesterday, but I bought all of the cards that were. So less now than it's five, five dollars because I <laughs> so have. Now it's five. <laughs> I don't know. We have done a lot of really good work in my union. Um, it's kind of chilled out lately because 
we haven't had to fight the district as hard other than our massive battle to not close some schools, which we kind of won because they closed less schools because we bullied them, um, which is the whole point of a union is to bully your fucking boss. It's to kill your masters. Which is so funny when people are like, why are you so mean? I was like, because they suck. Uh, but yeah, I think we just had some really cool union wins. Um, I introduced the motion in our, um, in our AFL-CIO, like our, the district, like in the San Antonio or Bear County area in our, the union of the unions, basically, um, in our council to do a ceasefire resolution really early on. Um, obviously I didn't just do it off my own accord. Like this is like a pre-plan, like we're going to do this. We're going to have these people speak on it, blah, blah, blah. But I got to be the one to like introduce the motion. And, um, we got that passed really early on, um, and got to be one of the first unions, um, and, uh, CLCs, which is whatever the council of our fucking, uh, central labor council. That's what it is. Uh, but you know, one of the first groups to be on a lot of those ceasefire things in the labor movement. And I just, that's really fucking cool. It's not enough, but it's very cool. So I'm very proud to be a part of that down here in Texas of all places. Good job, everybody. All right, we ready? One take, right? We're just gonna nail it. Oh, nail it, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is not your moment, sir. This is not your moment. <laughs> <laughs> about what that. a pregame speech. I like, I, I like the, uh, the idea that that was like a Steven hype up. This is not this your is moment. not your moment. Just do it like You're a part of a whole. You're a combination. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta like talk to yourself in the mirror uh this show would not be possible without the generous financial backing of our patron supporters today's episode was brought to you by adam gouda brian chris kimball dan bauer daniel tan lena nabulsi lucia mark williams michael callahan ryan thor and yona thank you each and every one of you, we would not be able to share the story with the world without your help. Music in this show is written and performed by our friends Blake Bost and Orman Audio. Our logo and extensive maps on our website were done by Daniel Grayling. Emmeline Kelly drew our character art, and our website was built by Labor of Love Graphics. Our role-playing system is 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, published by Wizards of the Coast, who we hope keep their focus of the game on community over profit. Jesse Lima's played Grimton Steady Hand. Agnar Elfbreaker was played by Sarah Zimmerman. Uh, Urshan Bertheshnosh was played by Stephen Sibbles. Joe Love is the Dungeon Master. And Alara Skill Dream was played by me, Zach Weaver. Thank you, friends. Thank you, friends.